the god of hellfire and I bring you fire. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustles, John Lamoureux. Okay, does this, just the sound of this voice, freak anyone else out like it does me? It freaks me out still to this day. When I was a kid, this song scared the bejesus out of me. Our guest this week is the god of hellfire himself, Arthur Brown. The man behind this song right here, this number one hit from 1968, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown's Fire. I have wanted to know for years, what is the story behind this guy? Who is Arthur Brown? What sparks somebody to create a song like this? Is he evil? Is this, uh, what kind of a person is this? What's with the fire on the head and the makeup and the, the outfits and everything? What is going on? And I finally was able to track down Arthur and have a chat with him about his entire career. Now, I don't know if you know this, after The Crazy World, he went on to form Kingdom Come. He put out a bunch of solo albums. Some of his music is so weird. Too weird for my taste, to be honest. Some of it is really good. And it, there's just a little bit of everything in there. He has never stopped just experimenting. That's what he does. He just, every whim he has, there's some crazy stuff in there, but it's all really interesting. So anyway, I thought it would be interesting to get to know him. What is he like? In addition, he and some other kind of legendary musical all-stars got together also for a charity single recently, their version of House of the Rising Sun. We play it in here. It's uh, meant to raise some money for musicians that are affected because they cannot play due to COVID. So there's a lot to learn in here. I just thought it'd be interesting to get to know who Arthur was and how people like Pete Townsend and Jimi Hendrix and others work into the Arthur Brown story. He called me from his home in North Yorkshire. Okay. Thank you very much for, uh, you know, taking the trouble to hound us down. Sure. And uh, I'm very pleased to be on your oh, uh, program. You. And so this is a pleasure indeed. Well, thank you, Arthur. This is, uh, you are one of these just fascinating characters and especially from my childhood i was going to say i mean i'm i'm not old enough to have i wasn't around yet back in 1968 when fire came out but i remember in the early in the mid mid 80s mtv would have this program called closet classics and they would you know for a half hour to an hour they would play old um you know old videos not really videos but performances and uh, your and fire, I am the god of hellfire. Was the uh, was what we, what was on the commercial for the program? And it's ah. it scared the living daylights out of me. You know, I was like thirteen <laughs> years old, and I'm this little Mormon kid in Utah, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. And it still <laughs> is that way. It still freaks me out. <clears throat> 
<laughs> I've just yeah. always I thought, what, who thought of this? Who came up with this idea? What kind of person? Well, it, it, was, it was a combination of things as it went on. I, uh, my first professional performance with my own band was in Paris. Uh-huh. And I went there for, uh, in 1965, and did a residency. And during that, we were doing uh, James Brown, mm-hmm. all kinds of covers, and doing many sets during the night, and twice as many on Sunday. So we didn't really have a lot of time for rehearsal. So what I did was I started to elongate the numbers uh. with with solos and things, and then bring in skits and bits of drama just to keep the thing going and have something new each night. And one thing that happened was one child was brought in by their parent, uh, about seven years old, and he, he said, that's very good, but why, why don't you black out your teeth? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what? And he said, yes, black out your teeth, wonderful. So the next night I blacked out my teeth, and to my astonishment, the audience loved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> So there were there were things like that, and then we were staying in a hotel in Montmartre, and uh, there were various wild parties going on in this hotel. And one morning I woke up about eleven o'clock, went uh, to go out, and in the hallway outside my room, somebody after a party had dropped a crown with candles on it, hmm. and so. I took that down to the club, and uh, I wore that, and they thought that was fantastic. So I, I, that became a, a standard thing at the part yeah. of the club act, <laughs> as well as picking up various things that I could find a dust in a uh, mop, uh-huh. and, and that was the Statue of Liberty. And <laughs> there was some kind of uh, ordinance that Colonel de Gaulle, General de Gaulle, had uh, put out, which was that any long-haired hippie coming across the border, uh, they could cut his hair off. So I, we did one, uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> we did the Pope cutting General de Gaulle's hair <laughs> because he he transcended all the human boundaries. And uh, <laughs> and uh, wow. so we did things like that, and that that began the theatrical part. Then I, I uh, went back to England, and I was intending to start a multimedia club, oh. but I couldn't, I couldn't interest enough people with enough money. So I decided, well, I'll start a multimedia band, and I, have, I had the good fortune to be in uh, a bohemian lodging place, uh-huh. and one of the guys there was an artist called Mike Reynolds. We used to talk a lot about, oh, you know, things from different cultures of the old days and all the earlier imagery that came in uh, with those things, including, you know, in early societies, Mm. things which later were attributed 
in, in a Christian form were, meant something else in the original form, you know, like okay. you a goat. Oh. A goat in some places is is a very powerful animal and a strong one, but in the Christian thing, it became the symbol of the devil. So we were looking at all these symbols, and from the the more pagan roots, we devised a, a helmet with horns and decided, okay, well, how do we do this here? How do we have flames coming out? Huh. So first of all, we tried a pie dish, uh, which filled <laughs> with petrol, and, and the road manager got as close as he could and threw bits of flaming stuff until it set the pan on fire. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, that that caused a lot of... Uh, uh, burning of my clothes and, and right. singeing of clubs and things like that. So gradually we worked it into a proper helmet, and that's how the the fire helmet okay. came to exist. Okay. Did you did you have any inkling then that you would be that you would have to kind of play up the part of the crazy Arthur Brown for the rest of your career? You know. Like people like Kiss or Alice Cooper, they're committed to a bit. I've always wondered if you went in thinking something similar, like I'll just wear makeup and fire on my head and, uh, you know, crazy outfits for the rest of my life. Was that your thinking at the time? Well, you know, as I say in Paris, we we got quite wild with the stage act. And when it got to England and I was singing with my own band, The Crazy World, uh-huh. with Vincent Crane in it and uh, the original drummer, Grayson Seeker, before Paul Palmer joined it. But at the same time, I was singing with the band that became The Foundations. Mm-hmm. You remember, baby, now that I've found you, I can't let you go. Yeah, for sure. And uh, build me a vertical, baby. Yeah. And and they, at that time, were called the Ramon Sound, and I was co-lead singer with Clem. So the publishers came down to one of the gigs and said, look, we've been watching you for a while. Uh, we're aware of all your, uh, what you sing and everything. So we've got this song, and we're going to, you know, put our weight behind it. We want you to sign a three-year contract. And the thing was that the UFO Club, which was the the early uh, what, what uh, the so-called hippies went down to, um, and and it was all the new ideas in sound with Pink Floyd, uh-huh. all the light shows, uh, ideas from you know Indian spirituality and uh, all kinds of mixtures of different ideas of what society could be based like. And I I really loved that. We played, and uh, they liked all the costumes and, and the some of the wild imagery, uh-huh. and specifically that kind of imagery that not only allowed, uh, you know, wild rhythm and blues beats and African beats and Indian stuff, but, but actually also examine some of the, uh, as I said, some of the earlier cultures. So although when we played then, we got £35 
doing three of this, which was twelve pounds uh-huh. each, minus all the expenses. So you looked at about eight pounds each, <laughs> and that was maybe enough to get you a bit of food for the week, but it certainly wasn't uh, pay any, you know, lodgings and everything else. Uh, but when they offered this three-year contract for the foundation, what became the foundations. And that song, I thought, well, I love singing this, but if I have to make a choice, what I really love is the creativity involved in the crazy world. So I turned down the foundations, and of course, uh, I think it was six or eight months later, there they were, top of the chart, (laughs) (laughs) and we were still earning... Eight pounds. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, uh, but it didn't make any difference because I loved it, and and we ourselves not that much longer later, maybe two years or a year and a half, we had our own hit. So good, good. I never regretted that choice. Good. How does Pete Townsend get involved? Well, because UFO was this mixing pot of. Uh, creativity and and created the the, the basis of the I suppose uh, psych and, and prog scenes at least and there was you know naked people wandering around poets <laughs> uh, educators everybody started to come down there Tom Jones came down to see what was going on oh. and various other people and the, the, the major record companies started to come down because they realized, wait a minute, this is a, a scene that uh, could could really, because it was already not the same musical style, but it already beginning to happen in America. So they knew it had some, uh, some strength to it and, and maybe it's worth investing in. And one of the people who came down because he'd heard about all the, you know, the uh, uh, ideas that were in there was Pete Townsend because he was always an experimental man, you know, himself. And so he came down and uh, at the time I was being advised by a guy called John Fenton who had his own, had had it as a club at one time, nine nine of the top ten hits in his publishing firm, Schroeder, and also was the initial publicist for the Beatles, uh, Brian Epstein. Okay. So he was helping me, and he knew Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp, and so what happened was Pete Townsend took us away into his studio, and we made some demos which mm. originally had Pete on guitar on a few of the tracks, and uh, laid them in front of Lambert and Stamp. Uh, John, this guy, John Fenton, that I mentioned, was saying to them, look, uh, you've, got to, you've got to really look at this because it's performance art. Yeah. And that was before performance art was really any anybody knew anything about True. it. Mm-hmm. But what they... They took it and said, no, no, we're, what we'll call it is theatrical rock because the the musical structures were kind of more based on operatic stuff, you know, 
repeated riffs, repeated uh, themes and stuff. And so that was how Pete got involved. And I must say, we we didn't really know the inside of a studio from uh, <laughs> a police station. Right. And um, <laughs> so he he was able to be very uh, very helpful and and, and yes, very creative. I think what happened was that Lambert and Stamp were managers of the Who and were themselves filmmakers. And so they they appreciated the visual side of the action, the theatricality of it. So we worked as a team because Kit Lambert was a great produ- uh, you know, producer of records and was his father was a classical composer. And so when we got in the studios, Townsend was offering his bit. I was, you know, putting in what I knew and was experimenting with. And Lambo would say, well, what you just did there, I like that. Why mm. don't we take it and then move it further along like this? So it, it was a great combination of people. And uh, my my original drummer then, Grayson Seeker, who later played with uh, Arthur Lee and Love and um, the Scottish National Orchestra and uh, all nice. sorts, and was the tabla player of choice for oh, the Bukitimian musicians. Yeah, but between all of us, we were just firing on all, all fronts. Yeah, you know? yeah. Did the support of Pete Townsend help get you guys noticed? I mean, it, you know, there's lots of good oh, bands out there, but I mean, I'm, I'm imagining when they're pitching you to radio stations or TV shows or whatever, live events, it's Pete Townsend presents, not exactly in those words, but you know what I mean? Having his backing must have been a help. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing was, you know, if, if you look at it, it was time when the major records were coming down there. So we got a lot of attention. We got probably the most free dinners I've ever had in my life. <laughs> nice. at the most swanky restaurant from uh, the top, you know, all the top record companies. Yeah. And, uh, but, but we looked at it and we said, well, Lambert and Stamp managed The Who, and The uh-huh. Who have broken a lot of taboos, so it stands a fair chance that what we want our music to be like is going to surface. Yeah under their influence in the studio rather than one of the majors who might not have that um, yeah. flair. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, that was an important thing. Townsend himself, he was uh, instrumental. I remember we got uh, a tour of America, uh, the crazy world, and um, I got a letter from Townsend saying, well, we've been... You know, the album is now, as we find it, uh, finished, and we're finding a hard choice because we know that you have, you know, the capacity to be very funny, particularly uh, Vincent and I were great, uh, great fun on stage, and we we were uh, sort of basically a comedy duo, and, and it was light, but we used to make fun of the whole hippie thing, uh-huh. and the hippies would sing the chorus. Uh-huh. They loved it. <laughs> and um, so we 
he said we 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 we're torn yeah. in the choice between that and your darker image. And, uh -huh. and eventually I got another lighter and he said, Well, what we've decided is that the darker image is one that we certainly know how to put over and and we can we can see where where it would go. Okay. And, uh, so that's that's okay. how that came about. And Townsend had yes, a strong influence in that. Uh, and and where, you know, he was writing in the musical press, uh -huh. he had his own column that he used to do, and so he wherever he had the opportunity, he yes, he certainly yeah. was influential. That's great, and I should be eternally grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to ask you more questions about some of the people you played with and hung out with back then. But I something I am curious about, Arthur, is, for instance, on the Chisholm in My Bosom album, there's the Lord is My Savior. Oh, the Lord, he is my savior. Oh, the Lord, he is my savior. When I'm down and disillusioned, don't you know he's my friend? When I'm lost and in the darkness, when I'm lost and in the darkness, he leadeth me, hand me comfort. Don't you know he's my friend? And it's a great tune, and you sing the heck out of it. And I just was thinking, this is this this is Arthur messing with us, right? This is Arthur, the god of hellfire, thinking, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to sing a gospel song, and I'm going to leave people even more confused. Is that the kind of thing that you, you know, is that what you were thinking at the time? Is that, I, I get the impression that that's almost the motivation for your whole career so much of it is so odd because it goes in all these well, various directions well i do like to you know bring things that make people think in a new way or a uh -huh. different way uh-huh and so i mean i the, the truth is I, I did always love gospel music is yeah. because of the sheer passion in, in it and and uh, in some you know in a lot of cases the the, the focal end of it is just astonishing. And then the, the beautiful chord structures and the, it's just the stirring nature. It's a stirring as, say, a, an old sea shanty, but in a, a spiritual ground. So yeah. it's, uh, but, um, so I, I would, I think one other na part of my nature was that, well, I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do uh -huh, musically. Uh -huh. And it won't necessarily be what is 
going to register as a commercial hit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, so where do you, I mean, I hope this isn't too personal a question, where do you land spiritually? You're both the god of hellfire, and you've been talking about all these, you know, all the pagan influences in your in your getup, in your in your persona. There, there's the Lord is my savior. Do you have a, are you a spiritual person at all? Would people be shocked to hear that Arthur Brown is a Christian or not a Christian or what? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I sometimes ask myself that. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say, uh, I, you know, in my life I've taken a look at as many of the different ways of approaching that as as, uh, as I can find. And it, it's been a long lot of years. I've been in Places where I, you know, uh, lived and studied and uh, lived particular disciplines and stuff. I, I find now that how to live your daily life as something that is in accordance with what you feel is true and, and what is true to your own nature. Uh, when you take the trouble, just or like you know, in these times, a lot of people are faced with not not going out to work and not going out to doing things. So you have to become comfortable with yourself. And one way is to invent things that sound great or make yourself an expert in them, so that you you can cover up everything. But if you let go of all of that. It's beyond any spiritual path and beyond any religion. Yeah, that's true. And that's a scary place, if you like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, okay, yeah, I just wondered what was really going on behind Arthur Brown, you know, who this guy is. Um, speaking of which, I want to ask you about some of your... So I've been I've been going back and listening to your whole catalog, getting ready to talk to you, and I uh, there's some... There's some oddities in there. I mean, like for instance, I want to talk, I want to ask you specifically about the song "The Experiment." I used to get up early in the morning and listen to the rumbling of my bowels, and as my sphincter was yawning, that's when I'd practice my open bowels. It's a song about pooping. It's a song about going to the bathroom. Like what I, to me anyway, it's what it sounds like. I what what is the thinking here, Arthur? Well, that was the uh the experiment you're talking yeah. about, yeah. yeah. And uh, it starts off uh, as, as a teacher in a class, 
It's featuring the lower colonic irrigation, I should say. <laughs> ah, yeah, that, that, that features that, that section in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, when you're a certain age of kid, you talk about poop all the time. Yeah, you do. And uh, then you get to a certain age when you never talk about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, so I just go, you know, it's like, wow, that's, what's the point of uh a being so okay as you might say anal we, about yeah it. if we can't talk so anal good one <laughs> we shouldn't be so anal about talking about poop i like that arthur <laughs> good one um okay so and then uh, i want i also am so curious about your dance album because that came at the end of the kingdom come era the the, the kingdom come era uh albums are they're almost, it's, it, uh, I have strong feelings about kind of progressive rock or psychedelic rock. It's the music you were making is so experimental that to me, it's almost not even music in a way. I mean, it's music, but it's not catchy music. It's not like radio friendly no. music, but then there's dance and on the cover, you're in a tuxedo and you're dancing and. What was the thinking behind that album? Well, I like that album a lot, by the way. Oh, good, 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 good. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, it's an, a strange album because it, it came out in uh, America on uh, Tamla. Uh-huh. Motown. Tamla Motown. I didn't know that. Which was, yeah, it was very unusual in those days. And... Uh -huh. Uh, it was because the record company Cole had uh, they decided they wanted to put some stuff out and then they loved the old Motown. I think we were one of the earliest artists uh, from England to go on, on Motown. Probably. But um, when I went out there, I had to meet up with the heads of Tamla and, and their uh, publicity people. And so uh, I went in there and the guy said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, look, uh, here's my friend from who was from England, but it's now in Lever and Krebs. It was some big agency uh, booking okay. agency. Lever and Krebs. He wants to book a t 
sure for me. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. Um, and and uh, he said, well, Arthur, I, I got to, not leaving not, not and Curtsy, the, the guy from Motown, got to tell you, I don't think it's a good album. Mm. And, I, and, and I said, yeah, but look, when, what I believe is that things have gone in a certain direction, and, and for some time now, people have not been dancing. And so what I'm saying by this album is you know, we're back to where, yeah, people should dance. And so I had it arranged. Uh, we were going to get a, uh, a group of dancers, right, right not quite the same, of course, but rather like Michael Jackson did, uh -huh. and, and go out and uh, put on one, one of those shows again. And he said, hmm, well, you know, I think the idea that I can see what you're getting at, but I'm thinking musically, this record will not get played on the video. Uh -huh. And I said, well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and we had a, another half-hour discussion, and in the end he said, Right. I'm going to put it on our requests for playlists, and we'll see. And I was going back to back to England. I'd, I was doing a radio tour through Tamworth, and so I think I had about another eight days, ten days left on the tour. And sure enough, it went up the play charts. Nice. And so I thought, wow. Uh -huh. I, I, well, hey, we're underway. You know, they, they're going to back it. There's plenty of money. We've got a great show. Got back to England, walked into Goal uh, Records, and they, I said, oh, fantastic. We're, we're, we're underway. So I'm afraid we're not. What? And I said, what? He said, we pulled all our artists off Tamla because of a dispute. Oh. And I was one of them. And that was the end of it. Oh. All the timing from then was wrong. I didn't have uh, a manager at the time. I was doing it myself, and I didn't really know what to do. And I just thought, oh, well. So that's that. Okay. Oh, that's <laughs> too bad. Oh, but man. it did make, uh, yeah, it, it did, went right up all the playlists. We were in the top. 10 and top 5, depending where they were. Um, so, like you said, there was, there was something, it was different than the uh, the kind of music I did with uh, Kingdom Come, uh -huh. and partly because I, I was going out on my own as a Arthur Brown, yeah. and, and not with a, you know, a fixed band or whatever. And also, it was too... Yeah, it was a different kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, positivity about the universe, about the world, etc. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, coming on the heels of the Kingdom Come, like for instance, you look, and this is my question, really. I mean, if you listen to Galactic Zoo dossier or. Death and birth, my soul enticed him. 
I've never quite understood like Captain Beefheart or Zappa to some degree. Um, I mean, it just feels like it's experimenting with how far out there you can get and still call something music, you know? I mean, yes, you're playing instruments, but I just think I listen to it and I think someone wrote this down. Someone had like charts and, you know, thought of all of this and like, okay, we're going to do this. And then two seconds later, we're going to go clear over here. And 20 seconds later, we're going to go clear over there. And then we're going to, you know, I just think somebody thought of all of this stuff. And uh, so <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. my brain just doesn't well, work well, that way, you know? <laughs> you know, what, what I thought of it, if you take something like the Journey album, which was... Uh, we were the first band to dispense with a drummer and use a drum machine live as the basis of the band. And I played the drum machine. Now, what we did was just take a different set of rules all together to create music. Mm-hmm. We had our rules, but they were not the normal ones. For instance, uh, we had one song that was called Triangles.
And what we did was we took our fretboard and then put the shape of a triangle mm -hmm. so that all you could see was what was the notes inside that triangle and moved them up and down the board and across a bit so you got part of a triangle oh. and roped the chicken around that. Now, that's not the normal way, <laughs> but it is a, a definite set of rules that yeah. we were obeying when we were playing. And, you know, the other thing was that, okay, we don't have a drummer. Uh, we have a machine that can play uh, certain themes. They, they don't sound like a drummer. They were based around drumming, but what does that allow us to do now that we can't do? How do we play something that's satisfying yeah. on what would otherwise be viewed as a very limited machine? In those days, the very early drum machine, the Bentley Rhythmics. So we invented our own laws of how to play. You know, one, one thing is that if you've got a drum machine of that kind, then there is no give between mm. the bass player and the, the drum. Every note of the drum is going to be exact. Yeah. And so the bass player, whereas with a, a bass player and a, uh, a normal drummer, you can pick up things between them, and if one yeah. feels a bit loose, you add, uh, and between the two of you, the rhythm section makes that a satisfying. Well, in order to make the drum machine sound satisfying, the bass player had to play every single note. Yeah. He came away every night with a headache. I believe it. Yeah, I could see <laughs> but that. But he loved doing it. He loved doing it, yeah. but it was just such an effort. And so we had, uh, and also, you know, there were, there were the synthesizers were just coming in, uh, and so we, we had notes and cascades and things that were impossible with a, an orchestra. So we had to create our own uh, laws for that. How do they belong to our music? Yeah, yeah. How can we make that uh, something that would satisfy some people? And of course, we didn't, uh, when we were playing Germany, we didn't play any of the fire material. And so with The Kingdom Come, we had to create a whole new audience. And it wasn't in the style that my, uh, you know, that Fire right. was. Right. It wasn't that style of music. So we did. We suddenly, from being, you know, playing big stadiums, we're back down, starting with 100 people again. And so okay. we did that three years running. We, we changed the second year. The first year, the second, and the third were absolutely different stylistically. Uh, but then that's what made us happy. Right, right. Did you, um, I mean, that can't, I, you mentioning earlier about um, wanting to open a multimedia shop or whatever, a club, that makes a lot of sense because everything that I've heard from you, all the albums I listen to, all seem to kind of have a concept. And I don't mean that they're all concept albums. Some of them are. But they have... There's a bigger idea going on. They're just not. They're not just a collection of songs. Certainly not a collection of songs that you intend to be hits or to get played on the radio. They all feel very like you were saying. Like there's laws or there's a there's a 
There are rules. We're going to do this and we're going to follow this and we're going to see what happens. And then we're going to put that out. And if our if our audience dwindles from thousands to a hundred or whatever, because then so be it. But that's what we want to do. It sounds like that's yes. kind of where your head has been this whole time. Yes, indeed. And of course, that makes it, uh, or did at that time particularly, make it difficult for anybody to manage it, uh, you know, with a, a successful economic end of it. Yeah. I mean, we, ma we managed to make it work and we lived. But if you were really someone who was dreaming of, uh, you know, top of the charts, it yeah. was a difficult thing. And of course, there was the whole thing how that kind of changed partly through, say, the pirate radios. Uh, music became uh -huh. a lot more, a lot wider in its scope uh -huh. for, for what was pop. And then, you know, you had John Peel's show that uh, also championed uh, the, the more experimental stuff. Yeah. And it became the pop music of the day. And then you, yeah. that led into things like, uh, oh, you know, Mr. Byrne. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, all the experimental bands that in the 80s, yeah, that's that was the basis of problems. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it did all change. Yeah, um, I am curious. I, I um, what did you do in the 80s? What did you when, uh, you know, the, the late 60s and 70s, you were very active, lots of albums coming out. And then uh, where do you go during the 80s and 90s? Basically, I went to Austin, Texas. Really? You lived there? And I I lived there, yeah. No for, way. I think 16 years. Yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I had a family, and uh, we, uh, I didn't go uh, touring or anything, and um, I concentrated on, uh, you know, living a life. And, and I did make some albums, but it, it wasn't, I didn't do a lot of touring, so okay. there's not much you can do with that. And it wasn't until I came back to England that um, I started up. Okay. I really like the Tantric Lover album. Well, we've nailed down the truth in a coffin of lies With our spells and our cunning deception The evil of our nature buzzes round us like flies Is it too late to find our connection? Oh, we've all been tourists on the shores of hell To help us forget to remember when you're going nowhere, everywhere's a hotel And the guests have no name and no number So open your heart and sing this with me Love is my religion, a wide in the sea Let us swim with the fish that have always been free And we'll touch what our dreams have forgotten
it's really nice and it's more acoustic and it is more you know it's less less proggy or psychedelic it's more straightforward songs it's a really good one i uh was that so there was that just that period there 16 20 years where you just decided i'm going to be a normal guy for a while yep okay <laughs> did you now okay so i i we try to cover the business side of things t very sensitively on here i don't know could you live off fire money does that that song gets you know, it gets sampled a lot in rap songs. It gets credit. It gets played in movies and. Every, could you just live off that for the rest of your life comfortably? Well, in those days, no, particularly. Okay. Particularly as I wasn't in uh, the place where I'd signed all the contracts. Mm. You know the usual story. Yeah. Of the, where did the money go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I went into carpentry. Yeah. And uh, I had a house painting company, and in, in the end, I had a house and painting company with Jimmy Carl Black from, from the Mothers of Invention. Yes. <laughs> one of, so we have a we have Patreon supporters, and one of and I always tell them who I'm interviewing, and they can submit questions if they want to. And one of mine, Michael Bagford, said he wanted to know what it was like having a house painting business with Jimmy Carl Black. That's crazy. Good for you. <laughs> well, he he used to. Uh, he was he was great. He was like uh, when you know when you're around Jimmy, he's so uh, charismatic, and he is actually unbelievably hardworking. Wow. Unbelievably hardworking. Nice. And we'll always try and get a bit of a laugh out of it, you know. And uh, but it would also we'd be painting a, uh, a room together. And at one time we had a full band and a photographer as the painting team, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they were all good. Yeah. So, but it, but he would he would be in the uh, you know the, the the people whose houses we were painting. Sometimes we'd do the interior and they would still be there. So they'd be in their lounge or something and they'd hear a voice from the kitchen, which was a voice uh, saying to me, God damn it, Arthur. Don't these people realize they got a rock stars in the kitchen? And so, you know. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, but then he disappeared to, you know, Get some paint or go to the toilet, and and then the the, uh, the alien would come in and say, "What? Uh, what is this man talking about?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, do you know at all of the mothers of the mansion?" And they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh -huh. And I said, "Well, he is the drummer in that." <laughs> what? Well, you've got the drummer painting the kitchen? <laughs> oh my god! So uh, and then then he I wait till I went out and then kind of said who's that guy how come he knows me and he'd say so we'd get to the end of the job and they'd go like ah that's well great. you know uh, we're we're really happy to have had you paint in the house but the the lounge is uh, very well decorated but it would look so much nicer if your signatures were on the wall. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's great! <laughs> and, I love and, it. You know, we—I uh, must say—we we got our first booking. We had been both 
within a space of six weeks requested to believe uh, to to leave by the guy we were working for painting we, we didn't agree with uh-huh. his ethics at all so uh, both in the Whole Food store and we knew one of the guys we sometimes painted houses for was the one who eventually built all the Whole Food stores for America. Oh, really? And, uh, he, yeah, and the first night we met him, we, we were commiserating with each other about, well, we seem to have been put out to grass. What, what, what are we going to do now? And I said, well, we've got to get her get our own company, Jimmy. So we, we'd uh, been drinking some vodka by then. So we got it. like, well, what should we call it? Ah, well, now we're in Texas here. Well, your name's Black and mine's Brown. <laughs> so why don't we call ourselves the Gentlemen of Color? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which in Texas is a dangerous name. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I don't know how that would go over in Texas so well. but <laughs> Depends where you are. But, True. Uh, yeah, so so um, we're, we're there and we're quite merry by this time. And this guy arrives and starts telling us his tale of woe with a, t- a load of people who've uh, been painting his, his uh, the big colonial house he's been commissioned to. Uh, remodel work yeah all the, yeah remodel it and, uh, they they've done for instance uh, uh the fluted columns you know on your colonial houses you have your columns out the front on mm-hmm. the porch and everything mm-hmm. and uh, around different parts of the house and uh, when it rained uh, on the uh, the day after they left uh rain hit the column, and it was then that he realized that they'd painted over, they'd filled all the holes with mud, uh-huh. and painted over the top of them, and when the rain hit them, oh. it the dug through the paint skin, and it was all, and, and uh, so he said, uh, I've looked at the rest of it, I was, uh, I was away on another commission, and uh, they they massacred that house. <laughs> yeah. And we said, we said, wow, we can we can step in there. We uh, know what we're doing. So that was our first ever booking as no the gentleman of color. The gentleman of color. Still there. That's it's great. Still there good for you. Looks good. The work. <laughs> the work lives on. That's great. Um, okay. <laughs> I love it. I'm just imagining the god of hellfire painting my kitchen. You know, and the drummer for the invent for the mothers. That's just amazing. Um, okay. Uh, last little bit. Now, you have a charity single out right now, The House of the Rising Sun. Now there is a house in New Orleans they call the Rising Sun. And it's Yeah. 
doing some and an all-star cast really there's tony butler from big country there's uh blanking on the guy's name from fairport convention yes uh yeah also josh phillips dave peck that's who i was trying to think of i kept thinking simon peck and and i uh, knew that was phillips um who's played in uh procol harum and Mm. also big country and uh yeah i mean it was just a star cast there yeah and I, they, they just asked me to be the front man and uh so it's great so i could like with the press and everything and that's that's still getting you know a good lot of lessons it's done well and it's and a charity it was, my, yeah oh i'm sorry yeah. you go ahead you explain it was yeah to to, to raise money for an organization called help musicians which was for, you know, musicians that were not uh, classical orchestra musicians mm-hmm. who get paid by the government, mm-hmm. but other musicians who are finding it difficult, as they all are nowadays. Yeah. You know? And so we, we, it did manage to uh, get some good press and uh, raise some money for them. So that, that was good. That's great. Um, good. And that's still getting played now. But actually, I'm... I, I'm at a time in my life when I'm, I've never been so busy. Yeah, yeah. I believe we've it. Got, we've just done a, a, a horror album with uh, Cleopatra Records, various people. On now, is this, Mark Steen, yeah, I was going to say, so Zombie Yelp is out there too, and it's you and Mark. I had Mark on here a few years ago from Vanilla Fudge, keyboardist. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, he's great. And th- that band is great. And uh, that's a really fun song. So you're do- you're putting together like a horror album with kind of an all-star cast? Uh, you know, I, I did a, a sort of deal with Cleopatra to do this, this one horror album. And um, the pro- producer of it is Alan Davey, who used to play with Hawkwind. He has has a great sonic touch on the whole album, and yeah, so that it's all 
apart from about three songs which I'm involved in the writing of, it's covers of, of okay. really great tracks Fun. from the 50s. That's great. But, but up to, updated Hammond electronics and stuff yeah. in there. You and so Mark... That's, that's been great. I feel like you and Mark should have come together decades ago. That's a pairing that makes so much sense to me. His playing and your yeah, singing yeah, yeah. and your, you know, mindsets it's just a perfect marriage if you ask me yes i mean there's something about the way a hammond is played that is not like anything else no Uh, you know it's it's, and particularly if you use the leslie speakers and it it twiddles something in the brain that nothing else can get it's so good uh and also the, the kind of rhythms that uh he's coming out with is, is just it's a different place but he he's you know he's kept up with a lot of the mm-hmm. the changes that have happened since then yeah so he's got a great uh, uh palette if you like yeah yeah you're how old uh, are you arthur like 78 years old i believe so that's what they tell me <laughs> and you're this busy that is wild. Good for you. <laughs> Good for well, you, Arthur. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, well, we're working on a new album. We've Great. got one. I've just signed a deal, which I cannot reveal the name of the company yet. Okay. And that album is already to come out uh, very shortly. And then I'm making a new one with them which will come out in another year and a half Jeez. or so. Wow. And, uh, and then, you know, then on top of that, I just did a, a, a track, which was a um, tribute for Emerson Lake and Palmer. Yeah. And I did one of the songs that I did on the tour. I, I went on the tour with Yes and uh, Asia and Emerson Lake and Palmer nice. uh, Legacy with Carl Palmer. Great. And uh, the song that we opened was, Welcome back, my friend. Um, <laughs> I've, I've done a version of that. That's come out on a, the, the album. And now, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm, I'm also doing a track on an album with Flor de Loto. They really? are uh, one of Peru's... Uh, they're quite big on uh, the circuits in Europe and, and uh, America. Delata? I know who Delata is. Mike Lindup from Level 42 plays with them sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, the guy, and Roy, who used to um, work with Bruce Dickinson a lot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a track with them because they, they like... I don't know, they just called up and said, hey. And they've got this as part of their band, the flute player. Uh-huh. A traditional flute player who is pretty wild, I must say. Wow. And so it's it's a really lovely single. I'm in, uh, over the next uh, 10 days creating the uh, melody and uh, some lyrics and... Uh, you know, it, it branch, it's it, it got a bit of heaviness in it. That's heavy great. Rock, bit of bit of traditional stuff, bit bit of uh, uh, ecological wanderings. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an amazing 
So, yeah. Okay. Wow, that's so much. Um, that's great, man. Good for you. Well, thanks for talking with me, Arthur. I, uh, again, I cannot tell, I cannot stress enough what an impact just those words were hearing them on M on MTV in my teenage years and just thinking, what in the world is that? It scared me to death. And, uh, but it also was intriguing. I wanted to know more and now I do. So thank you for, oh, thanks for fantastic. being you. That's lovely. All right, there you have it, Arthur Brown, the crazy Arthur Brown, the God of Hellfire himself. Um, I wanted to close it out with another one of those kind of gospel-y songs. This is The Lord Will Find a Way. So Arthur, the guy who can sing about Satan as easily as he can singing about God and the Lord and beautiful gospel music, it's just, it's a trip. And I love the story about his uh, construction business with the Mothers of Invention and all. I, I mean... So much fun. Those stories are so much fun. Anyway, uh, check out the charity single if you want. Just help people however you can, whenever you can. Uh, please. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention. Arthur is planning a tour. Now, I say planning because like every other musician out there, he's unsure whether this is even going to happen because of COVID. I mean, it's just putting a damper on concerts everywhere. But he and I were talking about the plans for the show and it's really elaborate. It's going to be great, but we just, no one knows when or if that's going to happen. So there was some talks about it's going on in May. I don't know if those are still happening, but your best bet is to, we have the link to his website right here in the description. Just go on there and uh, keep tabs. It's, it's really the all, all you can do if you want to find out what your favorite artists are doing these days in terms of touring. Now, next week, our guest next week is a... a well, I've already mentioned this. It's a producer. I posted about this on Facebook. We're talking to Grammy-winning producer Bill Schnee next week. He's putting out a book called Chairman at the Board. And uh, we talk about tons of his stories in his long music career. I know you guys love our producer stories. We have a new one coming up next week. I think you're going to like it. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Markiewicz, my right-hand man, for everything that you do. Thank you, buddy. You guys know how to find us by now. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Um, yeah. Thanks, everyone. We love you. And if you're new to this, we'll be back next Tuesday with another one. Go back into the archives. Find some other interviews you like and uh, let us know what you think. Okay? Love you all.
make it.